Hey everybody, welcome back to the Financial Freedom Show. My name is Rob Berger. In this uh, episode, I'm gonna walk through how to evaluate an investment portfolio. I've had the opportunity to evaluate countless uh, investment portfolios since starting this YouTube channel. I've done many of them in past videos. I literally have hundreds of emails from folks asking me to review their portfolio. And the reality is I just can't do it. It's just, it's just overwhelming. So what I thought I'd do is walk through in this video how I do it. And uh, a viewer has been kind enough to allow me to use his investment portfolio uh, as sort of the guinea pig. And so we're going to tear apart his portfolio. But I'm going to walk through how I do it, how I think about it, the tools that I use uh, with the goal of sort of helping you evaluate your own portfolio. I think this could also be useful if you're just starting out investing. Maybe you don't have much of a portfolio to evaluate. I think sort of the steps that I take can be very useful in building your first investment portfolio as well. So that's what we're going to do. Let's get started. Let me first show you his portfolio. Here it is. And it may look a little overwhelming. I don't know, a little more complicated, but it's really not. He basically has three accounts. At the top here, we've got a, a Fidelity 401k. And he's at the moment got, uh, I guess, uh, six other ETFs. And then um, below that is a Vanguard Roth IRA, also six investments. These happen to be mutual funds. Mutual funds tend to have five letters in the ticker and uh, ETFs, typically three, but as you can see, sometimes two or four. And then his uh, third account is a brokerage taxable account. And, uh, and the portfolios in each account are, are roughly the same. There are some differences in the taxable account, which are important. We'll get to that uh, in, in a minute, but that's his portfolio. And so uh, the, the way I like to start is actually, believe it or not, to ignore the portfolio, first of all, as a starting point. Now, it may seem odd. We're gonna evaluate this portfolio by ignoring it, but we kind of are. And the reason is we, we wanna know what our goal is. What, what are we shooting for? We wanna have a target. And uh, just looking at a bunch of mutual funds, it's like logging into your 401k and seeing all your investment options. If that's your first step and you don't have a goal, it can be very overwhelming. So what's our goal? Well, we want diversification, right? We don't wanna have all our eggs in one basket. We wanna keep our costs low. And don't worry, I'll show you how we can evaluate the cost of these funds, it's very easy. We wanna keep things as simple as we can. We'll talk about that. Uh, we want more stocks than bonds. I think that's true, certainly true if you're a long-term investor. Uh, for those more than 20 years out from retirement, personally, I think a 90-10 portfolio is, is, is a good place to be. Not written in stone, it's a guideline. Some have 100% stocks, some might have 80. For me, it was 90-10. And then as you get, well, about 20 years out and moving from there down to about 10 years uh, to retire, I like to move, move down to about 80% in stocks. And then as you move into retirement, you sort of have to decide what your stock bond allocation is gonna look like. Uh, in retirement, for me, it's gonna be around 70% stocks. Uh, for this viewer whose portfolio we're gonna look at, he's targeting 60-40, certainly reasonable. But the, the key point is we want more in stocks than bonds in the vast majority of cases. And then the fifth thing, since he has a taxable account, we have to think about tax efficiency and what types of investments we should have and what types uh, of accounts, right? So that's what we have to think about. That's sort of our, so our goal then to take all of that and wrap it into sort of one nice package, I think, is this. We want to identify what I call a core portfolio. And what does that look like? Well, let me show you, it's very simple. Uh, we want a core portfolio that covers three things. We want, oops, let me get this working. Here we go. We want US stocks. We want some kind of fund or funds 
that sort of cover the U.S. stock market. That's the first thing. I believe we want international stocks. And let me just stop there. There are those that say forget international stocks, including some pretty smart people like Warren Buffett uh, and Jack Bogle, founder of Vanguard. So, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't argue against either of those gentlemen, but I certainly believe that uh, international stocks are an important part of a diversified portfolio. There's arguments against it. Obviously, you can make your own decision, and I've done videos on that in the past. But for me, a core portfolio includes um, exposure to international stocks. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is U.S. bonds. We want some kind of fund or funds that cover U.S. bonds. So there you go. That's the core portfolio, not complicated. It's just U.S. stocks, international stocks, and U.S. bonds. Now, we can achieve that in just one mutual fund if we want to. We could use, for example, Target Date Retirement Fund. It covers all, all three of those bases and I've talked about them in the past. Uh, we could also use uh, something like Vanguard's Life Strategy uh, Funds, uh, which is a single fund. You put your money in one place and then they divide it among those uh, core groups of, of investments and you're done. So that's an approach and a very simple approach and certainly one that I think is very reasonable. Now, if we go back to the portfolio we're looking at today, obviously that's not uh, the choice he's made and that's perfectly fine. So. What I like to do in evaluating any portfolio or building one from scratch is to say, okay, in this case, what funds does he have that might cover these three bases? So we can, and, and that step uh, does a couple of things. First of all, it helps us sort of uh, work through the, I'll call it clutter. I don't mean that in a negative sense. I should have come up with a different word, but there's a lot of different investments here that we're looking at. We need to zero in on those investments that will satisfy this core uh, part of the portfolio. And that will help us, uh, first of all, identify, are we missing something? Maybe we don't have a fund that covers one of these three categories. Uh, and, and if we do have them, good, it helps us identify those. And once we've identified them, then we can look at everything else and say, why are you here? <laughs> Who invited you to this party? Uh, you're not part of the core that we need. So do we need you or not? All right. So uh, the first thing we're going to look at, if you see the third row here, uh, at the top, he's got something called VT, Vanguard Total World Stock Index Fund. That actually could serve as part of our core portfolio. And I'm going to show you how uh, we would identify that. So what we're going to do, uh, the first tool I'm going to show you is Morningstar. It's a free tool. Uh, uh, you can use it to research more uh, mutual funds and, and ETFs. So all we need to do is the ticker. We know it's VT. And so if we look at it, we always want to check a couple of things. The first is the expense ratio. Remember, fees are part of our goal. We want to keep things cheap. 0 0.08 or eight basis points is just uh, 0.08 of 1%. Generally, anything around 20 basis points or lower would certainly be uh, inexpensive. And so this is a very inexpensive fund. So we've got that base covered. And now we go to the portfolio and we can see what it invests in. And we can see, just like the name suggests, it invests all over the globe. 60%, uh, as you can see here, is in U.S. equity, and 40% is in non-U.S. equity or, or international. And we could even dive into more detail. We could come down here under exposure and, and look at region and see the different allocations, or we could even do it by country. So we see, again, 60% in the U.S. And, and then the rest divided among 
a number of countries. So with that one fund, we could, if we want to, cover both the U.S. stocks and the international stocks. So going back to my whiteboard here, we could say, you know what? We've already got two of the three done just with VT and we're done. That's an approach. Now, um, there is one uh, drawback to that for many people. If we go back to the screen, a lot of folks say, look, I want some international exposure, but I don't want 40%. That's, that's too much. I want something less than 40%. And that's one of the trade-offs we're going to find. There's, there's always trade-offs in life, right? Simplicity versus flexibility. So yes, a VT is a, certainly a simple approach, but you, you lose the flexibility to decide you know, how much uh, U.S. versus international you're going to have. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just up to you to decide. Do you prefer the simplicity or do you prefer having a little more control? For our purposes, going back to uh, his portfolio, given the way he structured his portfolio, I'm just going to assume that he, he, he doesn't want to use VT as the core. Certainly an option. So now we have to say, okay, then what are we going to use? We'll start with U.S. stocks. And probably this, the best candidate here would be this fund right here, Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, VTI. And by the way, this fund here is a mutual fund, VTSAX, but it's the, it's the same thing. It's the same investment. One's an ETF, one's a mutual fund. And um, if we go back to Morningstar, we'll look up one of them. Uh, we'll look up the mutual fund version this time. Here it is. Now, again, kind of the same thing we want to do every single time. What's the cost? All right, four basis points. Good, that's inexpensive. And does it cover our, can it be our core U.S. fund? And sure enough, it's, it's virtually all U.S. equity. It, it, this tells us that it, it, it invests in largely large companies. That's the top row. And it's sort of a blend, that's what BLD means, between value and growth. And just so we're clear, a growth company is one that's really growing quickly, uh, increase, increasing its revenue very quickly, like an, an Amazon maybe or a Tesla, but they tend to be more expensive relative to their profits. A value company is probably a company that's been around a lot longer, maybe even kind of seem boring, like a Coca-Cola or a bank. Actually, I don't know if Coca-Cola is a value company now that I say that, but most banks are these days. And so uh, they may not be growing their revenue as fast, but their, their, the cost is, is usually lower, rel again, relative to their profits. It's not that one is better than the other. Sometimes growth companies outperform as they've done over the last few years, but there have been decades where value companies have outperformed. In this case, we're looking for a core portfolio that covers everything. We kind of want value, we want growth, we want big companies, we want small companies. So if we go back, we can actually look at how much of this fund is in each of these squares, if you will, by clicking this weight link. There it is. So predominantly large, but there's plenty of medium-sized companies, plenty of small companies down here. And we can look, there's growth, there's value, there's blend. It's got a little bit of everything. Excellent. So for U.S. stocks, we can use VTI. I'll just do that or VTSAX. They're basically the same thing. Now, one thing that I will do is there's a good list of all of the different kinds of funds that can fill in these core pieces of the portfolio. I'm not going to cover every single fund in this video, but I will link to that resource below the video. So you can check that out. You don't have to have a Vanguard fund. You could use Schwab or, or Fidelity or T. Rowe Price or, you know, there are other funds that you can use. So I'll have that link below the video. All right. So we've got our U.S. stocks. That's great. Now, going back to his portfolio, 
what can we use for international? And this gets a little tricky. Remember, we looked at VT, uh, and it certainly has uh, international exposure, but it, only 40%. The other 60% is in US stocks, so not really ideal for the international exposure. And there are others, like we could look at this global equity, VHGEX. Well, let's check it out. VEHGX. Did I remember that correctly? I don't think I did. <laughs> let's try that one more time. VHGEX. Ah, here we go. So we want to look at fees. Well, the first thing we notice is 45 basis points. There's a reason it's that much money. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But that's a little more than we want to spend. On top of that, if we look at the portfolio, it's got the same problem as VT. Yeah, it's got international stocks here, 45%. But look at that, 55% or 54% is in US stocks. Not really ideal. So one that I like for international exposure is just VXUS. Again, this is an ETF. There are mutual fund versions of this. This happens to be Vanguard. What do we do first? Look at the expense ratio, eight basis points. Love it. We're good there. Go to the portfolio. Yep, it's almost all uh, international. They, they, they do have some cash, but it's almost all international. Uh, if we look at weights, we can see just like the, the US stock fund we looked at, it's got all the value, the blend, the growth, the large, the medium, the small, all covered. And again, we could go down further and look at the different regions and even by country if we wanted to and see uh, what it invests in. So this is, I think, a good fund. Uh, we can actually just pencil it right in. Whoops, try that again, here we go. Now, notice what we've done here. If we go back to his portfolio, he really doesn't have a good all total international stock uh, fund. So. If he wants one, this is something he's going to have to add. We can see we looked at this one here. Uh, we looked at VT in his taxable account. He has the same VHGEX. So um, this would be something. This is, again, this is why I go through this first step of what, what can we use for our core uh, portfolio. And it'll show us any holes you know, in, in the portfolio. And I think this might be one for him. Again, uh, VXUS is just one of many you could use for a total international uh, fund. Again, the link below the video will have others. All right, so now for bonds, and I really like what he's done with bonds personally. If you look up here uh, in his uh, 401k, he's got two funds. He's got the Vanguard Total Bond Market Fund and a Schwab Tips Fund, and he's got 50% uh, of his bond portfolio in each. And I think that's a really good way to go. If bonds are new to you, I've done a number of bond videos in the channel. You can search for them. I highly recommend them. But we can look at both of these very quickly. Uh, BND, again, it happens to be a, a Vanguard uh, fund. And many would say this is all you need. And that's certainly a reasonable approach. So let's go through the quick steps. Doesn't take much. Three and a half basis points, check. We go to the portfolio and what we see is it's got about 50%, a little less in US government bonds, about 28% in, in, in corporate bonds, and then the rest in what are called securitized, mainly mortgage-backed securities. So this is a well-diversified portfolio, and I think it's a, a very good choice. And uh, the other one that he used was CHP, or SCHP, excuse me. This is a Schwab fund, and it invests in tips. 
The advantage of tips is that if inflation is higher than we expect, tips can really pay off because the principal value of a tip goes up with inflation. Of course, if inflation turns out to be lower than we expect, we'd, we'd prefer not to have tips. And so the idea is have a little of both. And that's what he's done. And I think it's a good, uh, reasonable approach. Uh, just five basis points. We see that there. And if we go to the portfolio, it's just a, a tips portfolio, treasury inflation protected securities. And so I think his approach uh, to the bonds is, is strong. So we've got uh, BND and SCHP. So there you go. We've identified sort of what he needs, what he has for a core portfolio, and maybe what he needs, international stocks. And I think that's step one. And by the way, you could stop there. What we've just described is the three fund portfolio. I suppose if you use two funds for your bonds, uh, then it's the four fund portfolio. But we could be done. We could just get rid of everything else. And I think you've got an absolutely wonderful portfolio. So now what do we do? Well, uh, in his portfolio, let's take a look at it again. We now have to go back through everything else and figure out why is it there? For example, VU, which is an S&P uh, Vanguard S&P 500 index fund. He's already got VTI, right? That's part of our core. So why do we need VU? And frankly, I don't think we do because there's huge overlap. And I've done a video comparing VTI and VU and their performance and risk over periods of time are almost identical. But here's what I wanna show you is how you can maybe figure that out for yourself uh, because maybe you're comparing some other funds, not just VU and VTI. And uh, what I want to do is show you Portfolio Visualizer and a specific part of it. When we're adding a fund, like for example, VU, the question we should be asking, of course, is why are we adding it? We've got our core portfolio done, right? Why do we need another fund? What's VU adding to this portfolio that we don't have already? And there can be answers to that, right? I mean, uh, just conceptually, we might say, okay, I know that VTI, which is our, our US stock fund, core portfolio has some small companies in it. But I really believe in small companies and I'd like to make them a bigger part of my portfolio. And that's very common. So some will say, okay, I'm gonna have most of my money in VTI, but I'm gonna put 10% in a small cap or maybe small cap value fund. Others say, I want 10% in emerging markets, which are international uh, funds that invest in emerging countries, think China or Russia. I really believe in that. or uh, yes, there are REITs in VTI, but only a couple of percent. And I like, I like real estate. I want to put 10% in REITs. So we sort of, they call it tilting the portfolio one way or another. Certainly a reasonable approach and something I've done. But the question becomes, well, it, does VU really tilt this portfolio one way or another? What's it do? All right. One way to figure that out in Portfolio Visualizer is to use their asset correlation tool all the way down here. And all we have to do is type in the tickers of what we want to compare. So we're going to type in VTI and VU, if I've done this correctly. And um, you can see we're looking at this on a monthly basis. We could also do it daily or we'll just put in annual. Changes the results a little bit. But this tells us that they're almost indistinguishable, that the, the correlation between these two funds is 0.99. Now you might say, well, Rob, that's great. What the heck does that mean? So correlation ranges from a negative one to a one. At one, it means they're in lockstep. One goes up 5%, the other one goes up 5%. If they go down, they go down together. Negative one means they go in opposite directions. One goes up 5%, the other goes down by 5%.
And if you're somewhere in between, particularly as you get near zero, there's no correlation at all. They're, they just, they're totally independent of one another. All right, so back to the screen. As you can see, these pretty much move in lockstep. So in my view, VU doesn't add anything to this portfolio. Now, does that mean it's some grave mistake? No, uh, not at all. But it, adding, in this case, let's say he's got 14% today in VU, would not be, you could take that 14% and put it in VTI, and you'd effectively have, for all practical purposes, in my opinion, the same portfolio. You just have it with one fewer uh, uh, ETFs or mutual funds to, to have to deal with. So in that sense, you simplify things. Now, that analysis, I think, is easy with VU and VTI, but it gets a little more interesting when you think about VIG, which is not you know, an S&P 500. It's a dividend appreciation fund. So we can take a look at it. We're going to first go over to Morningstar, type in the ticker, and remember what we do, same thing. I want to look at those expenses. Six bips, as they like, as they like to say. Good, good, good. What about the portfolio? Well, when we look at it, you know, it's still in the blend. It's sort of still in the same box here that VTI is in. I mean, yeah, this the blue dot is what represents the fund, and it's, it's sort of on that value line, so maybe it's a little different. And if we look at weights, yeah, 20% in value, only 12 in growth, and there's very little in the small. So it's different than VTI for sure. Uh, but how different? Well, let's find out. We'll take out VU and we'll put in VIG. Well, correlation's pretty strong. Uh, it's, you know, 98.98. So uh, in my view, that tells us, going back to his chart, that VIG, 9% in VIG isn't really adding a lot. If he wanted to have a value fund, you could find funds that are even more value. In other words, if you put them in Morningstar and we look at the map, the blue dot isn't here, it's way over here somewhere. And that might add uh, more diversity uh, to the fund than VIG. But in my view, VIG doesn't add a lot of much, a lot, a lot. It's not hurting the portfolio, I don't believe. It's just adding some complexity to it. Let me give you a different example. I want to move down here uh, to a different fund. And we're going to look at, if I can find it now, here we go. Oh, it's up here too. This Vanguard US growth. So remember, the dividend appreciation fund is sort of a value uh, fund, leans towards value. But let's look at VWUSX. Now, the first thing always is our expenses. This one's a little expensive. This is a Vanguard fund, but it's still 38 basis points. Again, we're going to come back to that and why. But let's look at the portfolio. So this is growth, and look where the blue dot is. This is significantly different than, an, than say, a VTI or an S&P 500 that falls within the blend category. This is investing in companies that are significantly uh, tilted towards growth, and we could even come down and look at what those companies are. And you can see they're mainly a lot of tech. Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Shopify, Tesla. These are, of course, companies in the S&P 500. So these companies, there's definitely overlap between this fund and, and VTI or, or an S&P 500. 
but it's heavily tilted towards growth. And if we take the ticker VWUSX and we do the same thing, we're probably going to see greater uh, a less correlation. Well, we'll find out. Here we go. Yeah, so it's not huge, but there is a shift, right? So it's not as highly correlated um, as what we've looked at uh, before. So one could argue it adds a little bit of diversity. And here, though, we have to do uh, take kind of another step. So we've talked about tilting a portfolio one way or another. So we've looked at the dividend appreciation fund that sort of tilts it towards value. And we've looked at the growth fund, which tilts towards growth. Well, what if you have both of them in your portfolio? Well, that's exactly what he's done. If you look at it here, he's got the U.S. growth fund here. He's got the dividend appreciation fund here. Now, he doesn't have the same percent in each, but he has them both in his Roth IRA. He has just the dividend appreciation in his 401k. And if we go down to the brokerage account, he has both. Here's the thing to keep in mind. Yes, we're looking at these funds sort of one at a time, but we also always have to think about the portfolio as a whole. We'll see that more when we get to personal capital in just a minute. But here he's got sort of a value uh, tilted fund, the, the dividend appreciation, and then he's got growth. Well, guess what? They kind of offset each other. And so he's not really tilted one way or another. If we were to look at his portfolio uh, in personal capital, you'd see a little bit of tilt uh, towards uh, growth, uh, but it's still a pretty well-rounded portfolio. Let me show you that now. And this is, again, this is personal capital. It's a free tool. This is a demo account. These are just made up portfolios that I've created over the, over the uh, last year or so for videos. Uh, but you can actually link your accounts. It'll, it'll bring in all of your investment data, whether it's a retirement account, an HSA, a bank account, taxable. And I've done that with this portfolio. Let me show it to you. I want to look at allocation and I have to select just his accounts that I've put in here. So we've got, this is his taxable account and you'll see why I like personal capital so much. This gives us a bird's eye view of the entire portfolio and its allocation. So we can see the numbers. U.S. stocks are 82%. Notice he doesn't have perhaps as much international stocks as he may have thought because the international funds he have are actually a mix of U.S. and international, right? But if we, if we zero in on U.S. stocks, we can see just visually, yeah, there's a little more in growth, but it's overall a, a fairly well-rounded portfolio. And so we can, of course, drill down into each of these and see which funds account for each asset class. But if we go back to his portfolio again, it raises the question, is it really worth the complexity to add dividend appreciation and U.S. growth? If he wants to tilt the portfolio towards value, he could, he could focus on a value fund. If he wants to tilt it towards growth, he could focus, you know, and perhaps add a growth fund. But it, it, by adding both, he's kind of staying in the middle, and our core VTI already does that. So that's a question for him. It's not a matter that this is right or wrong. And having them in there doesn't somehow make the portfolio that's not, you know, create a huge issue other than it adds complexity and there may not be a need uh, for, for that uh, complexity. So uh, as we look back at the portfolio, we've pretty much covered most of the funds uh, in his account. We've looked at VU and questioned whether he needs it. Same thing with VIG and VT. Of course, VTI is sort of the core part of his portfolio. 
maybe consider adding a, an international uh, fund like VXUS. And then his bond portfolio looks good. There are a couple of tax exempt funds down here, uh, muni funds in the brokerage account. And that actually raises a really important question when you've got taxable accounts. And that is uh, really two things. What kind of funds should you have in taxable accounts versus what kind of funds should you have um, uh, in a retirement uh, uh, account? And I have some sort of general rules of thumb. And uh, the first is, um, if you own REITs, he does not own a REIT fund. You always want to keep that in a retirement fund. Or, or if, you if you have it in a taxable fund, it's going to generate a lot of taxable income. Uh, municipal funds, like he has here, uh, you want in a, in a taxable account because you get the tax advantages from them in exchange for slightly lower yields. You, you wouldn't want to put them in a retirement fund. You'd lose the tax break. Uh, but here's something else that I want to focus on uh, with his portfolio, and it, it will actually kind of bring us towards the end of, of the analysis and kind of how I think through uh, rating a portfolio. Recall we looked at some funds where the uh, expense ratios seem to be a little higher, right? And I think this Vanguard fund here, VWUSX, was one of them. So let's take a look at it. Here it is. And we're going to go back to the quote page. And it's 38 basis points. And what that tells me with Vanguard is that this is an actively managed fund. What does that mean? So you can put ETFs and mutual funds into one of two categories. In one case, uh, index funds, or called passive investing, just tracks an index like the S&P 500. So the fund isn't hiring a bunch of people to evaluate stocks or bonds and pick the best one. They say, oh, forget all that. We're just going to track an index. They tend to be a, a lot less expensive. That's where we see you know, funds that cost two or three or four or five or maybe 10 basis points. For actively managed funds, they say, you know what? No, we're going to hire a bunch of smart people, and they're going to evaluate stocks and bonds, and we're going to try to pick the best ones, uh, which sounds reasonable, except that over the long term, most of those actively managed funds don't actually outperform index funds on an after fee basis. So going back to this fund, this is an actively managed fund. Now, as actively managed funds go, 38 basis points uh, is, is a relatively inexpensive uh, fund. But there's a bigger problem when you put this fund in a taxable account. And here's the thing you need to know. And this can be true of index funds as well. Uh, particularly with mutual funds, they can distribute capital gains each year, even if you don't sell any shares of the fund. So you could end up paying taxes on capital gains every year, even though you never sell any shares. Most funds, if they distribute capital gains, most of the time, do it in December. That raises an important question. Well, Rob, how do we figure out if a mutual fund is likely to distribute capital gains? Well, I'll show you. You use Morningstar, and we'll use Vanguard US Growth Investor as our example. And what you want to do is go to Performance tab right here. This shows you the returns, but we want to, what we want to focus on are distributions. So if we click Distributions, you can see over here it's by date. And uh, in 2021, yeah, this fund only distributed in December. That's the good news. We've got income. So what's that? For a stock fund, that would be dividends. And dividends are sort of normal. You know, most uh, uh, stock funds, you know, have some sort of dividend yield. You can actually see that if we go back to the quote page. Uh, well, this one, actually, the trailing 12-month yield they've got is basically uh, uh, zero. 
But if we go to most are not zero, that's pretty unusual. Um, uh, and if we go back to distributions, we can see they did distribute some, but very little. That's okay. Uh, but the big problem is capital gains. This stands for short-term capital gains, and this is long-term. They distributed for each share you owned over $1.57 in short-term and over $7.13 in long-term. And the NAV of the fund, the net asset value is $65. So they distributed more than 10% of the value of the fund in short and long-term capital gains. And we can see it visually over here. So you're gonna pay capital gains tax on that and the short term gets taxed as ordinary income, even if you never sold a share. By the way, you could even get hit with that if you just bought the shares. Maybe you bought the shares in November and they distribute them uh, the capital gains in December, you can get hit. So this is something you want to pay special attention to in the taxable account. And so this is not a fund, even aside from the fact that it's actively managed and its expense ratio that I would personally use in a taxable account. Now we can compare that, by the way. Let's go back to VTI. That was one of our, our, our core investments. We go to performance. Now this is an ETF. So ETFs typically don't distribute capital gains. And yep, you can see it's zero. Whoops, these two columns are zero. Income is normal because it, uh, the fund pays dividends. But we can even look at the mutual fund version of this which is VTSAX and uh, go to performance and there shouldn't be any capital gains here either. Yeah, none. So that is really important. If you're gonna invest, particularly in a mutual fund, in a taxable account, you need to have an understanding of what the capital gains are. Now, one more thing I wanna show you uh, uh, before we bring the video to a close, going back to his portfolio. We mentioned these uh, muni funds. He's got VTEAX and VWITX. These are Vanguard municipal bond funds. They're, they're exempt from federal income tax. And for that reason, particularly if you're in a higher tax bracket, uh, they can uh, be a good, um, a, a good uh, uh, option. But the question is, he's using two funds and they're both Vanguard tax exempt funds why two of these? Why not just one of them? Do, are they different in some way? And so again, we can look at these through Morningstar, but we can also go over again back to Portfolio Visualizer, right? And uh, let me just remember this ticker. So VTEAX is the first one. And the second one is VWITX. And we can look at their correlation. Boy, they're pretty much neck and neck. And, um, you know, we could pull them up in, in, in Morningstar and take a deeper dive and see what they invest in and their, their uh, cost. This one's nine basis points. The portfolio is going to uh, obviously be fixed income, you know, all fixed income and some cash. Here, there might not be much differences. You could also check the Vanguard site to understand uh, uh, how these both work. But it might be, it might be an opportunity to simplify the portfolio again in the taxable account. Not that having both of these uh, creates some, some issue or, 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 or problem other than, again, I like to keep uh, the, um, uh, the portfolio as simple as possible. And by the way, before we leave this screen, you know, we looked at this Vanguard U.S. Growth Fund investor share uh, for taxes. Uh, the Global Equity Fund has the same problem, VHGEX. 
if we look at its distributions, as I recall, uh, it also distributes a fair amount of capital gains here recently. Yeah, so about 10% based on the off the NAV, pretty uh, quite significant in 2021. So that's another fund that you'd want to think twice about uh, before owning in your taxable account. The other thing I'll mention when it comes to investing in a taxable account is you really need to be thoughtful about what you invest in because once you once you go down the path and, and a number of years go by, you're going to have a, 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 your unrealized capital gains, of course, are going to grow. We hope that happens, right? That's a good thing. But then you kind of get locked in because if you want to make a change, well, it's going to trigger taxes. In retirement accounts, we can make changes when we want and we don't have to worry about taxes. Uh, but in a taxable account, uh, you do. And so you really want to be thoughtful about how you're investing. You want to be thoughtful in all of your accounts. But keep in mind, with a taxable account, once you go down a path, uh, you, you kind of get stuck there unless you're willing to you know, pay Uncle Sam uh, to make changes to your portfolio. Well, I know I've gone through a lot. Again, I'll have links to uh, some articles that walk through different options when it comes to, again, what I call the core portfolio. I'll have links to the tools I use today, Personal Capital, Morningstar, and Portfolio Visualizer. And I hope you find this helpful. Uh, it's my way of thinking about a portfolio. I will say that a lot of people do want to tilt, as I mentioned, they want to tilt towards growth and maybe have some QQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ, or they want to tilt towards small cap value. I think all of those approaches are reasonable. I tend to limit that to 10%. So if I wanted to add, in addition to say VTI, uh, uh, some small cap value, I would I would not put in more than about 10%. Uh, that, there's nothing magical per se about that number. Uh, but for me, it kind of it kind of reflects this view that I still want the portfolio to be driven by those core three asset classes, U.S. stocks, international stocks and bonds. And if I'm going to tilt one way or another, I don't mind doing it, but I want to keep that in check. I don't want to get to an extreme because if you really tilt your portfolio, say put 50 percent in a QQQ fund or small cap value, it's going to really increase the volatility of the portfolio and you could significantly underperform the market for, for uh, periods of time, and that can be hard to stick with. So that's my view, that's my take on how to evaluate a portfolio, and frankly, how to build one uh, from scratch. If you have any questions, please leave them in the comments below. I'll help you out any way I can. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.